What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning into Demo Day. I'm your host, Sean Goldman, CEO of Coefficient Labs. And on today's show, we'll be interviewing Steve Barsh, managing partner at Dream Adventures. Steve has over 30 years of experience starting, leading, launching, and investing in startups and multinational companies. He has extensive experience working with entrepreneurs, scientists, and physicians on rapid identification and de-risking of critical make-or-break assumptions, as well as shaping those companies along with guiding their early-stage venture rounds. On today's show, we cover patterns of success for entrepreneurs, the importance of determining your vision as a startup company, and the problems with startups focusing on exit strategies prematurely. Without further ado, let's jump into today's episode of Demo Day. Thank you so much for joining us today on Demo Day. Thanks for having me, Sean. Uh, so, Steve, one of the first questions that we always ask all venture capitalists that come on the show is really to help us understand the why behind your investing in startups. You know, I think you and I just talked a little bit about how you have built a company. Uh, you've been on the operational side, which we'll talk more about. But now the fact mm -hmm. is that you get to invest your time, energy, resources in helping other entrepreneurs. Um, maybe talk right. to us a little bit more about why this is something that you're so passionate about and um, you know, just, just why it's something that you're interested in. Sure. Um, I love startups. I've spent my entire career building and running startups myself. I'm a serial entrepreneur. Um, and it's really fun to do a lot of startups at scale, to do work on more than one at the same time, share knowledge, share experience, and share cash and invest in them. So to me, it's really fun. Um, spend a lot of time and understand how to see around corners and work on strategies and work on models. And it's really interesting to do that with and to dozens of companies at the same time. And plus, you get to cross lots of industries and lots of areas and see patterns of what works and doesn't work across multiple industries. Everything always, everybody thinks, well, this is really unique to healthcare. Or this is unique to biotech or unique to security or education. Mm see a lot of patterns of the same problem again and again across industries, which is fun for me. And now bring us, bring us back to the early days, Steve, where, you know, where did you grow up? Um, uh -huh. You know, what was childhood like for you? And, and did you, you know, play sports growing up a lot? Were you more into education? What, what was the early days like for Steve? Early days. So born and raised in suburban Philadelphia. That's where I am talking to you from today. Um, so from the Philadelphia area, wasn't really a big sports person a little bit. I like activities, you know, scuba diving, flying, uh, fishing, all kinds of like outdoorsy hiking, backpacking, that kind of thing. Um, so really enjoyed those types of activities. Grew up in the Philly area, um, always kind of more on the science, computer science, math side of things. Went to University of Michigan and got a computer science degree specializing in software engineering, kind of worked all through high school as a software developer, worked all through college, got a degree, moved back to Philly to start my first company that wrote the business plan in my senior year at Michigan, and then just kept going from there. Sold that company, bootstrapped it, sold the company seven years later, and then just did another and another and eventually kind of crossed over more to the venture side. Maybe, maybe you could unpackage that a little bit because sure. I think the concept of having multiple businesses you know, starting, exiting, going again and over and over again. I mean, that's something that so many people dream about about doing. So, you know, have you, when thinking about the patterns of success uh, that have mm -hmm. worked for you, what do you think has been um, kind of the key to your success that you then, you know, uh, talk to other younger entrepreneurs about? 
Sure. So every venture I've invested in or worked on or my own ventures, not all of them have been successful. So let me not overstate. You know, some of them have, some of them have not. I know which I enjoy more. They always say you learn more from your failures than than your successes. Mm -hmm. I I find I'm very well educated at this point. I don't need any more failures. (laughs) Um, But I think what I found in the things that I've worked on, which is the same exact thing that Dreamit looks for in entrepreneurs and startups, solving a really big problem, a really compelling, unique approach to that problem, a solution going into a big market with clear differentiators, um, you know, uh, being clever on more than one axis. A lot of the companies I've worked on and a lot of the companies I find that are really interesting that Dreamit invests in, you know, we'll, we'll see a founder say, you know, I'm working on this startup and here's what's unique. And I'll say, cool, what else? I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean, what else? It's like, well, you're clever in one way. How else are you clever? It's a little like a three-legged bar stool. You know, a one-legged bar stool is called a pogo stick. We like a three-legged bar stool where it's not just this, but the way we acquire comp- customers, the way we monetize customers, the, what we're doing for them, we're clever in more than one way. So I found in patterns of companies that I've been most successful with, we're clever in more than one way, solving a big and urgent problem in a big market, interesting solution, and you know, passionately focused on making that successful, constantly iterating it to make it successful. And so going back to your days of college at, at Michigan, what was the first like big problem that you were excited to tackle? In college itself? Well, well, I remember, I remember you saying something to the effect of that you ended up starting your first business based on a business sure. plan that you created. Ah, got it. Year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. So cool question. So again, I was doing software development before I went to school, so to university. So it's kind of interesting. Again, back then, I'm 55 years old. Back then, that was kind of a big deal, right? For now, sure. If you're not, if you're not programming in three languages by fifth grade, you know, you're you're. <laughs> You're behind. Special program. You're behind, right? And you need extra help and tutors. Um, back then, it was is not a big deal. So by the time I graduated from college, I probably had six years of experience doing software development. And I, in my senior year, I started something called software engineering. And in software engineering, it's taking a methodological, a methodological, an architectural approach, an engineering approach to building software versus just slapping something together and see if it works, which is how a lot of software is still built today. So kind of the aha moment for me was, I was sitting in my advanced software engineering classes in my senior year, and I took probably three or four of them and realized, wow, this addresses all the problems I see in software development every single day. Everybody else in the class was like, yeah, this is kind of interesting. It's like, no, all the crappy software I've been involved with and projects I've been involved with and things late and behind and testing not being done. It's like, wow, this is a really big issue. So I kind of decided, like, wait, why don't I build a company around that concept? It's, mm. We actually called the company at the time Sika, Software Engineering for Corporate America. We just called it Sika. And it was applying those approaches to software development in large corporations. And we actually started it, not a big thing that we love today in the venture world, but started as a consulting company. Like, let's consult and advise the companies. Your projects are always late. They're always behind. They're always over budget. You produce crappy software. So that was the aha moment, the problem, the first problem that I decided to solve. We bootstrapped that. I grabbed another friend from Michigan, a couple other people, started the company, brought in just a drop of money from you know some uncles, um, and paid that money back within a year because consulting companies aren't very capitally intensive in the beginning. Bootstrapped it and started it. I can tell you a little bit more. That's an interesting pivot. Yeah, that sure. Whole story, if you like. So one of the things that was years and years into it, and it's where I started to develop. I, I only have. I'm technically an undergraduate degree in computer science, but I definitely have a sweat MBA. I might actually have a sweat PhD in business at this point. <laughs> yeah. You know, those those seven years of building that company, eventually exiting, doing all of that, I learned so much. And one of the things we realized about 
four or five years into the journey was, well, you know, building a consulting company in Ottawa is really sucks. <laughs> it doesn't scale <laughs> very well. You know, we have 20 people. I can tell you exactly what our revenue was. And back in the day, and again, this is years ago, you're just sitting there looking at Microsoft and they're printing at the time CD-ROMs. It's like, wow, that's like printing cash. You build it once, you print, you print, you print, you print, you just keep generating cash. And we actually pivoted the company from a consulting company to a software products company and said, can we encapsulate what we're doing and build software products so we can get out of the services business and start scaling this? And, and that's what we did. It was a really interesting pivot. It's hard. I've seen services companies try to do that. It's usually very tricky for a services company, like a dream it, when we see a company come to us that starts as a cyber security services company is trying to pivot into a product company, it's very hard because they tend to go back to, wow, we were making so much per hour um, and it costs a lot to build the product, but built that company to a product company. And that's actually why we eventually exited because we were dominating our industry of, in an area called case tools, computer and software engineering. And it was, a, it was a, great, a great life lesson. It was a really nice exit, but a really interesting life lesson about the importance and the margin that you can capture in a, a products company versus a services company. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about the way in which you went about the acquisition. Um, not the, I think what's really interesting about your story is that I think in today's uh, generation of startups, especially ones that go more of a traditional venture-backed route, you tend, from my understanding, to sort of um, go through training or it's part of the process of getting venture backed is like eventually you're going to have these acquisition meetings but in your sure. case where you were bootstrapped it's like you yeah. weren't really bred to think that sure. way and so maybe you could talk like how did you educate yourself how without having a bunch of venture venture capitalists that were sure. teaching you about that what was your strategy so in in your question, I'm going to unpack so many questions within your question, and okay. I'm going to push back on some of the, the, the beliefs that some venture folks have, because I completely vehemently disagree with them, Okay, um, particularly angel investors around a lot of this. So let me talk about it. So the way that we got smart back in the Seeker days, one of my partners, Gary Markman at the time, wound up going to a seminar on selling up and selling out. I even remember the name of the seminar. And it was put on by a small boutique M&A firm in the New Jersey area. That, that specialized in software companies. And we, you know, it's, it's like today, how do you get smart? We always tell our kids, what's the most important thing you learn in school? How to learn. Once you learn how to learn, you can learn anything, right? Mm -hmm. You went to university, you went to high school, you know, you sit there and you face a fine and you're like, shit, I don't really know this stuff. I better figure it out. And you learn how to learn. Well, once you know how to do that, like, again, I don't have an MBA, but I can go up with an MBA, like, and take them to the ropes every single time because I need to learn how to learn. So we learned how to learn. We went to that seminar, learned about it. It was something we wanted to approach and just got smart about it, executed on it, ran a process and, and sold that company. But I want to come back to something you just said. And, and I want to point out, by the way, so we do a, a lot of content creation at Dreamit. We do something called the Dreamit Dose. I collaborate with a group uh, called Slidebean, which is out of Costa Rica. Kaya is, is terrific. And we've done a couple of series specifically on how do you think about exit? How should you exit? How should you exit? Um, how should you think about it? How do you talk about valuation and your vision and how to answer if an investor says, what's your exit strategy? It's like a catch 22. You're never, a lot of entrepreneurs aren't sure. Like, Ooh, is that a trick question? How am I supposed to answer? Mm. So I just wanted to pontificate a little bit on what you asked of the Ooh. training of entrepreneurs on, on you, how did you know how to answer their question? Let me tell you the way we try to untrain our startups at Dreamit, And we have hundreds and hundreds of startups we've invested in. 
I don't ever want to hear about your exit strategy. When you're the seed, Series A, any of those early stages, I don't give a shit. And it's actually, I take it as a negative signal if you start talking about your exit strategy. Like one of the common mistakes I'll say is, what's your vision? And they'll like robotically, I'll have a CEO that's interviewing with us, and they'll robotically say, well, my exit strategy is like, whoa, stop. I didn't ask you for your exit strategy. I asked you for what's your vision. Well, I'm hoping either Facebook or Google or Epic in the healthcare space, you know, or RSA, we're a security company. My vision is to be acquired by them. And I just say, that's a horrible vision. Here's what your vision should be. Your vision should be to dominate the industry. Your vision should be the gold standard that you sweep and monopolize whatever you're doing. You own it. And if you do that, the right exit strategy is going to come along. A PE firm, you'll get acquired. You'll do a SPAC. You'll go public. Something, right? But don't focus on the exit. If you are, you're focusing on the wrong thing. You should be focusing on building a dominating, kick-ass company and own and suck the, the air out of the space. You do that, the right thing will come along. You start talking to me when you're a seed stage company, you've got like two paying customers and you're doing $300,000 in ARR and you're going to tell me what your exit strategy is. I think you're full of crap and you're focused on the wrong thing. So that's my uneducating. And we talk a lot about that on the Dream It Dose. We've done that a couple of times on some of Kaya's shows, which you should check out. Slide Bean on YouTube. He runs a series called um, Startups 101 and a bunch of series. So those in the Dream It Dose that we run on YouTube, we talk about that topic a lot. Big mistake we see a lot of startups make. Let that. me so let me let me ask you a question back then. Is that a mm-hmm. is that a problem of the venture capitalist where they've essentially like the startup or the entrepreneur thinks that that's what the VC cares about, or is it a problem with the entrepreneur? who's not focused enough on the problem and is only thinking about the exit. Like where's the, not the blame per se. Did, did that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So my brother has, a, his wife has a really funny line. How quickly we get to the apportionment of blame part of the conversation. But I, I don't know who's to blame. It's probably, a, it's probably a mixture of both. Right. I think sometimes entrepreneurs are like, Oh, I'm going to start this. I could, I could quickly exit this. That's as you'd probably know from all the interviews and all the work you do. Startups are hard. Don't get into this business. Don't do a startup because like, ooh, this is going to be fun and easy. It's, it's fun. It's interesting. You'll learn a hell of a lot, but it is such an up and down roller coaster. And if you're just focused on the exit, you're not going to have the grit and wherewithal. The, the, the downs are so sucky. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. if you're just like, well, I want an exit. You won't, you, there's got to be a deeper reason you're doing the startup that you're working on beyond the exit. So sometimes it's the founder. Sometimes it's VCs. I think if I was looking at blame, I think, you know, a lot of startups that we bump into. So, so dream it. What do we focus on? We focus basically on pre-series A companies. You know, they've raised a seed. They've raised an angel round. They're about to do their A. They're doing a seed extension. That's the, the age of the company. You know, they, they have product. They're, they're, they have a drop of revenue or, or early trials. They're working in health tech or secure tech, which is like cybersecurity. And they've spent a lot of time with angel investors. You ever gone to an angel investor meeting? A local, this is the, you know, the New York, not the New York angels, but this angel group and that angel group and bunch of rich doctors, bunch of rich lawyers, bunch of exit. And, and you know, the number one question they ask you as you get towards the end of that pitch when you're with a group of angels? What? So what's your exit strategy? Mm. How, how, am I, how are we going to flip this? How, how quickly? Do you think maybe two, three years? You know, I watch Shark Tank all the time. Love startups. Go. I'd love to write a check for $10,000. So what's the exit? What's the exit? What's the exit? Where literally I was on the phone with probably two or three startups this week where they put up, you know, they would put up our exit strategy. I was like, what the hell is that there for? <laughs> well, every time, 
time we pitch angels, they want to know what's your exit strategy. Right. Like, I don't care. I, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want you thinking about it. Now, look, at the end of the day, we need to think about what would the exit strategy be? Who would be the natural acquirer? Why would the acquirer put a value on this company? What's the company accomplished? Yes, it's in the back of our mind, but I don't want to start up to focus on that mm -hmm. because that CEO, the, I always, there's a, a startup I've, I've been talking to a lot over the last couple of months. And I was like, what's your North Star? What keeps you, what drives you? What are your KPIs? And it better not be when you're very early on that, that exit strategy. So I don't know who's to blame. It's probably a little bit of mm. everyone. We what's, just try to unprogram CEOs. Sorry about that. What, what's the qualities then are the opposite of that? Like what, you know, when, when you, if that becomes the natural red flag for you, what are the, what's the opposite of that? What sort of conversations are you having there? Great question. It's a natural red flag. We can get them over that. Look, when companies come into Dream It, they're not perfect. I'm not perfect. I like to say, just ask my wife. You know, they're not perfect, but it's something we can deprogram. It's like, don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Right. So the, the attribute on that end of what we're looking for, and there's a lot of attributes in startups we look for, but just related to that area, the attribute that we look for is a hell of a vision. You know, they've gone through the whole deck. They're coming towards the end. You know, when you're pitching, this is all about demo day. When you're pitching, and I'm not a big fan of demo days, not not your show. But sure. Talk about in general, and we'll get into that later. And if you have time, we could really get into that. Um, I want a, a, a deck. A pitch is a story. Has a beginning. Has a middle. Has an end. It's a. We just recorded a dream at dose on this about how to not just pitch but tell a story like a fairy tale. She was born in a shoe. She was cold and wet. And she lived in a forest. And da da da. And met a prince. And this and happened. And they lived happily ever after. I like a a startup that has an intense happily ever after. Mm -hmm. That it has as they get to the end of the deck and they're here's what we're raising, here's what we're doing, and then it goes into this vision, into this really big arc. If they're just telling me, well, we're raising three million dollars for our Series A, so we can get to a six million dollar run rate. You know what I find interesting in this section instead of talking about exit is cool. Then what? We don't in, in venture. I don't. That's like, oh boy, I'm going to hit a ball and get to first base. And I got to my series A. Yay. Then what? Like, what's interesting about that? Where's this going? So right. the kind of thing- You want to hear the world excited. series. Like, I want to hear the world yeah. series, right? I I want to hear, it usually starts, and we we have in Dream It companies, we talk to them, and all the Dream It doses hit a lot of these topics too. We talk to them about, you know, basically it ends with something like this. And by the way, this is just the beginning. We hope you'll join us on the journey because we're just getting started. Where we see this going in three to five years, we're going to dominate this industry. We want to be the gold standard that across every state in the United States, moving into Canada, moving into Europe and globally, we want to own this market in the space. Now, mm -hmm. you know, you got to get to get to Mars. The first thing I have to do is get off the ground. I'm getting off the ground. But watch and I'm going to just give you a little taste of how I'm going to dominate and what I'm going to do. And then you just sit there and you're like, oh, my God. These guys want to take the air out of the room. I mean, they want the whole thing. That to me is a lot yeah. more interesting than, so we want to raise 3 million in our exit strategies, get acquired by Google, Facebook, Apple, or RSA within the next three years. I have this vision in my head right now of almost like, like someone taking you through like the Grand Canyon and like, you need to keep it very tight. And then mm -hmm. as soon as you get to that point, open it up and like, and then right. let the world kind of. You know, yeah, that's that that's really really interesting, and um, yeah, that that's that's actually part of 
Uh, it's really cool you mentioned that. And, and I'll definitely, if there's a particular episode you want me to put into the show sure. notes, I'll, I'll throw it out there. But I think there, it, um, at least in my experience, I've done a lot of work in, you know, quote unquote, elevator pitching and learning about the psychology sure. that goes into storytelling versus non-storytelling mm -hmm. and like how your brain... Right. But I think that's something that you've added that isn't really talked a lot about in the normal nature of a story arc is to mm -hmm. like, once you've gotten to the end of the arc, paint mm -hmm. the new story as like the great open or like, like, like right. people like this is Sally and Sally has this problem and, and you get them to first base without right. showing them what the world series could look like. Sure. I'll give you another thing that's not taught or people don't seem to know at the end of a pitch deck or pitching and storytelling and elevator pitch and all of this. And the other thing is, how do you end it? So, okay, so you do your vision, now what? So there's the classic, and I'm happy to take any questions. Oh, good, I'm glad you're happy to take any questions. But I find that most startups drop the ball on, they're pitching a VC, what do you do next? Like, and what they don't realize, and I had the benefit many years ago, a really good friend of mine is Josh Koppelman, who's one of the founders of First Round Capital. And I was an entrepreneur in residence in the IR. I was between things. And Josh was like, you know, come, come camp with us for a year. If you're going to learn a lot, you're going to see a lot. You'll think a lot of things. And oh my God, are you going to learn how to pitch? Because you'll see some, so many startups. And I'll never forget one entrepreneur, you know, everybody gets up and this is back, you know, pre-Zoom and, you know, get up and put up their pitch deck. Everybody would close their Mac and or whatever. And, and at the end go, thanks. Great. You know, there was no like, any questions? No, we're good. And they'd almost like walk out the door. Like, okay, great. Well, let me know if you're interested. And they'd walk out the door. And I'll never forget, I probably saw 300 pitches that year. And one startup, one entrepreneur at the end, closes it, turns to Josh and says, so I have a question for you. Yeah. Well, is this the kind of startup you'd invest in? Is this something that's interesting to you? I don't know. I'm not sure. What aren't you sure about? Like, what, what are the things, what do I need to do to show you to get interested to invest in a company like us. You know, there are one or two things. And, and I sat there and I thought, son of a bitch, that CEO is trial closing, Josh mm -hmm. Koppel. You know, mm -hmm. sales technique, mm -hmm. B2B sales, trial close, find Oh my God, he's looking for obstacles to sale. He's selling equity in his company. That was another like aha moment for me. Every Dreamit company that goes through. Dreamit companies have a very high propensity to close rounds after they go through Dreamit because they know how to pitch and they know how to close. And I think a lot of startups, it's another thing, again, that I think a lot of startups get wrong is they don't realize that when you're raising equity, when you're raising funding, whether it's debt or equity, you're selling. Bro, yeah. Now you're not selling your product or widget, you're selling equity in your company. So have you, you know, is this the right target customer, VC? Do you ask for the close? Do you understand the objections to sale? If they say no, do you find out why? Well, at the end of that, they're like, you know, I really don't think it fits. Why doesn't it fit? You know, are there two or three other investors you think? And treating it like that. And it's just such a, you just see these, these yeah. founders that don't, don't know. And they have no idea like how to get it closed. And they don't treat it that way. Is, is that because in the school of life or the school of entrepreneurship, no one teaches you to go past the pitch, so to speak? Like, because what you're talking about, I mean, it uh -huh. made me think about, you know, I, I had the opportunity, the luck when I was a freshman in high school to be one of the Cutco salesmen that sold knives. Oh, cool. Parents, friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have them downstairs. And I, I think that that was probably the best experience I could have ever had at 13 or 14 years old. Um, not only yeah. because it teaches you like 
you know, to ask for the sale or to build your rapport things. But I remember mm-hmm. very vividly them teaching us about the importance of asking for a referral. And it's like, oh, right. that sounds so obvious to do. Sure. But then you yep. go and sit to 300 pitches and realize, wait, none of the founders asked any questions or tried to like, it, it's one of those things that's like, well, duh, but then no one does it. And you, and you recognize, well, like if you are pitching 50 or 60 or 80 VCs while you're trying to raise mm-hmm. funds, maybe getting yep. a little more uh, aggressive at optimizing the bottom of your funnel might. So like, I definitely agree with you. And I, I think it's something they don't talk about often. There are, you tell me if we're drifting too far off. No, I, I know this is, about, I love it. I but love it. I'll, I'll I'll give you more around that same end of like pitching, demoing, meeting with investors. So one of the things that you just talked about, and I'm sorry, I'm just going to keep plugging the dream of dose. It's like yeah. being on a late night talk show. Yeah. We, we have, we shot today all morning. I shot for three hours with our media producer, Dustin Carpio, who's terrific. We shot a new dream of dose. It's like number 43. We've got, a, and they're all five to 10 minutes. They're very intense and very short. So one of the things you just talked about is if I was an investor and I said, Sean, how much are you raising? And you'd say, pick a nine, yeah, two million. Okay, yeah, two million, whatever. Hundred, okay, three, three hundred thousand. I'm raising three hundred thousand. Sure. So first of all, here's what they don't seem to train, quote unquote, train entrepreneurs. They don't get. How much should you be raising? Like, Sean, three hundred thousand. Why is that the amount? Now you ask most entrepreneurs, and they'd say, well, that buys me around sixteen months to figure things out. That's awesome. Investors don't give a shit about buying time. Time is not a fundable milestone. I don't care how much time. I don't care if it buys you 17 years. I don't care if it buys you three months. Time's not a fundable milestone, right? So we talk about that a lot in the Dream at Dose with Dream at Startups when they're getting ready to raise. Um, and it's a really important point. So let me just say, again, you're, you're raising equity. And by the way, the answer to the question, if you want to go from a five-minute Dream at Dose on how much should you raise down to the 30-second soundbite, it's... How much cash do you need to get to your next fundable milestone, assuming you're not going to get to cash flow break even, right? So you think if you have 100 customers, you're doing $80,000 a month, you're approaching about a million dollars ARR, here's how much cash I need to get to that because that'll get me to my Series A. It's a very logical, rational, thought-through process that, again, 90% of startups don't do. By the way, we record all of our doses on all the crap that we see every day that people make mistakes on. That's why there's an endless stream (laughs) of content for us to put out. So then. The other point on that that I wanted to say was the other mistake that startups do is, so now they drain into, so I'm raising 300,000. What does that slide usually look like in the deck? So they'll say, I'm raising this. And then what's underneath of it? Like use of funds. What are the things they, most startups, what do they kind of talk about? And I'll, I'll, I'll give you what I see. Maybe I, I we're going to hire. Yeah, go yeah. on, go on, go on. I would imagine marketing, like, like they want to just pour the money into acquiring new users. Absolutely. We're going to acquire new users. We are going to hire two account execs, a new VP of sales, three software developers, um, one person in customer service because we really have to grow here, and uh, a, a COO. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to I'm going to tell you this. So you've gone through Cutco sales, right? And I'm not going to do the other sales trick of I'm not going to say, okay, Sean, sell me this pen. When when you talk about sales of a product, do you sell features or do you sell benefits? Benefits. That benefits, right? So that Cutco knife, look, look, it's razor sharp. Oh, look, I'm bleeding. And look, it doesn't dull. Here's all the benefits. You never have to sharpen it. It cuts through a, a beer can and then cuts through a slice of bread and it'll cut your pickles in half. 
you sell benefits, not features, right? So when in case in case engineers are watching that watching this and they don't get that, like you know, my car has ABS brakes. That's a feature. What's the benefit? It stops on a dime, right? My car has all-wheel drive. That's great. What's the benefit? Doesn't get stuck in the snow. Okay, now let's go back to startups and that whole sales approach when we're talking about it. Cool. I'm hiring four software engineers, two account reps, and, and a customer service. Those are features. Why should I give a shit? So what? Like, what's the benefit? Well, that way we can produce more. So what? So we can sell more. To whom? Customers. How many customers? Seven. Really? Seven customers. Over what period of time? 18 months. Wow. Seven customers in 18 months. How much revenue do you think you're going to get to? Oh, easily we'll be doing $150,000 a month in monthly recurring revenue. Most of our companies, by the way, are early stage B2B companies. Oh, oh, okay. So then what your pitch deck slide should say is we're raising $300,000 to get to, you know, a, you know, $1.5 million ARR at a 90% gross margin. To do that, that'll, because we have 11 new customers. Now to do that, we need a bunch of software engineers, but that's, you're now treating, again, your pitch deck is it's sales, right? And you're selling benefits, not features. The features are how many people you're going to hire. A horrible feature is the amount of time it's going to buy you. Investors don't care about that. They care about how can I buy learning, traction, revenue. That's another end of the, end of the deck where everybody just completely drops the ball. Not everybody, 90% everybody. That's, and it's, it's weird because like my mind keeps going back to the same question around like, I know it's, I love, I can't recall the term you use, but of like the who's yeah. at fault here, like, you know, who learned to do these things? Because it sounds like what you're talking to is this concept of like reverse design, right? Like I got to right. think about like, where do I need to end to then go backwards? And as you say right. it out loud, it's like, Man, Steve, that's about as logical and makes as most sense as you can get when comparing it to I'm going to hire a COO and this. It's like, wait, one doesn't make any sense, but Correct. seems like it should be the story. Like, oh, businesses have uh, this, and so right. I'm like, where do people or like wh where is the disconnect? Is it in school? Is it in you know people? All everyone thinks they want to be an entrepreneur, but they don't have that reverse. Yeah, I don't know. Intro. So we, we, you know, our, our YouTube subscriptions today will cross or this week will cross 8,000 subscribers. I don't know. That's why we put it out there. I, we just, we see people that come into dream it, people to get involved, you know, we're an early stage venture investor with an upfront program that people go through. And when they go through that program, we make investments. These are the common mistakes we get rid of in the companies that come into us. They need to be good enough, right? They need to be like, wow. That's a, a bright, you know, you look down on the ground and say, that's a really interesting asset. It's a really interesting company. If we polish it, like we can see it, but they're just telling it all wrong. Their go-to-market strategy, by the way, it's not just pitching. Mm -hmm. Behind the pitch is mm -hmm. all the strategy, all the pricing, competition, you know, marketing, all of that that we work on with them. Um, but I don't, I don't know. It's why also we started putting out the dose and people who watch it say, the way you guys describe shit, it's like, this makes, I watch five minutes. It's like, I've mm -hmm. been thinking. How do I calculate total addressable market? And in five minutes, you demystified the whole thing and just made it make perfect sense. And it's people are like, and I never forget it because it just makes sense. It's like studying sociology. Once you explain it to somebody, you're like, well, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Do so you, that's what we try to do. Do you think like, like obviously there are benefits, marketing benefits for DreamIt, like, you know, mm -hmm. having awareness and subscribers. Like, sure. let's put that aside. I'm curious yeah. more from like, like inside of you, like your own personal mm -hmm. why, 
do you find it sort of like is is your mission around the content driven more around education or part of me thinks uh and you can totally tell me if i'm wrong sure. but like i feel like um uh or i'm projecting on you maybe that by doing these doses and doing these shows mm -hmm. it helps mm -hmm. you articulate like how you talk and communicate like i can i like the way you talk and communicate is uh -huh. like oh, wow that's so clear and thoughtful i do you so my question is is like is the is the content you produce more so that you flush your own thoughts and ideas and concepts out or is it more around like trying to solve this education gap in, sure. in entrepreneurs so there's there's probably three top reasons number one love to help startups around the world it lets us help startups at scale right we can't help everybody we can't touch everybody a lot of companies aren't going to makes sense as a venture investment for mm. us to do, lets us help more people, number one. Number two, it prevents me from repeating myself. I talk to startups all week long, all, all day long, all month. And I'll just say, it's almost like writing a prescription. Watch this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. Come back after you watch it. I'm not going to repeat myself on these topics. You know, we've been saying the same shit for so long. It's like, it gets old. Like, let's just record it so you can watch it. And then what we do also, by the way, that we find that's kind of cool about the content, it's interesting. People find out about startup, find out about Dreamit and realize, you know, when they hear that type of content, like, wow, the way you guys think is just different. I want to be involved with something like that. So it's great. It wow. creates good inbound interest. It creates good brand for us and it gets our, it gets our name out there. Um, there was one last aspect I was going to mention about it that, um, so scalability, um, reach, um frequency that type of thing i don't know and it's 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 fun it's and it's different by the way like we you're doing video right most people when we were getting started on this well dream it you should start a blog because every venture firm has a blog and you should start a podcast every venture firm has a podcast i was like great then we're going to do video it's so much harder exactly wait yeah. I, like it's what we look for in a in a startup right i love when a startup pitches us and says everybody else is going left and then we have this unique insight and we went right Right, like, cool. What's that unique insight? Well, I don't want to be like everybody else because then we're like everybody else and we can't differentiate. Video and when we do that is a lot harder for us to do. You know, Dustin is busy, you know, a gazillion hours a week producing content. He's very good at what he does. And then all of us, I'm not the only one that does it. There's lots of people dreaming. We have guests on the dose and other shows that we're about to launch. So it's a lot of work, but to us, it's, it helps the startup community around the world. You know, it's it helps our brand. It's it's the small it gets our DNA out there. Yeah, and yeah. then and then well, I mean, I guess while we're on that that line of not, you know, while everyone's going left, you go right. Maybe mm -hmm. now would be a good time to just talk about like what was the original thesis or thought process that went into your style of program? Because like you said, it's not a traditional VC for Dream It. Yeah, 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 for Dream It exactly. Yeah. So like maybe like even go a month or two before you even start like like what was the sure. what was the original uh yep. problem and then maybe uh, you could explain sort of how the process works and what startups expect when they go through the program absolutely so let me give you a little bit of the genesis story where it started i'm not one of the founders of dream it myself and darren sandberg are the two managing partners that run dream it but i wasn't the founder they're they're on the board now but so dream it started about 11 years ago in the philadelphia area and our main offices these days are in philadelphia and new york city when it originally started, it started in the very early days of, you know, YC, Techstars, Dreamit. Those early 2009, 2008 is when Dreamit started. It's now about 12 or 13 years wow. ago, so, so quite a while ago. 
And it started as one of those summer programs, $25,000 for 6% equity in your company. Um, and it started as that classic kind of accelerator, two months, all of that. And over the years, we've matured and refined and matured and refined. And getting into Dream It Now, you know, it's a little bit. I, I went to University of Michigan. Our daughter is a senior in high school and just got into University of Michigan. And somebody commented, well, you know, it's not like when you got into Michigan. It's much harder today. I'm like, ooh, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> I was like, I don't, know. I, don't give, I don't give a shit. I'm, she's not going, but I'm proud that she got in. But, you know, Dream It Today, the bar is so insanely high to become a Dream It company and get in. What it looks like today over time, and I think, you know, people who have a model well-refined and worked out, at the end of the day, we're a venture firm. Right? We're looking to invest in the best of best startups. We, we verticalize what we do because we want our expertise to be expertise. So we run Dreamit Health Tech and Dreamit Urban Tech. Health Tech is digital health and medical devices and diagnostics. Secure Tech, I'm sorry if I said Urban Tech, it's Dreamit. So we run Dreamit Health Tech and Dreamit Secure Tech. Health Tech, digital health, medical devices, diagnostics. Um, Dreamit Secure Tech, cybersecurity, physical security. Um, annual money laundering, counter fraud, all kinds of things around security, but it's wider than just cybersecurity. Each one of those has teams of people that are experts in their space. It's not just somebody who's like, guys, general business knowledge. They have deep expertise in the space. So what we do for companies today, again, the type of companies we're looking for, they're usually a couple years old. They've already gotten some funding, maybe a half million, maybe a million, maybe the bootstrapping. Most importantly, they have product. Couple early customers, um, a little bit of early traction or proof of concepts and trials. And when they start with Dreamit, they start in what we call now Dreamit on Demand. You can start any month. We don't do cohorts anymore. We got rid of all of that. But what you can do is you start with us. And there's two main pillars of what you're going to do with us at Dreamit. So all the companies that go through Dreamit, we get an investment right. So we have this platform team that I'm heavily involved with. And that platform team's job is to, we find the best startups in the world. It's insanely hard. Two or 3% of startups make it into these programs. Um, you come in and our job is to build you and accelerate the growth of your company. It's a growth platform and build you bigger, better, stronger than you could be on your own. The two main pillars of that program, we do something called customer sprints and investor sprints. And the reason that the, where that term came from is I'm sure you talk to a lot of CEOs that are also the CTO. Well, we're busy. We, you know, we have to do a sprint. We have to, we got to get more code out the door. We're like from aggravation. How about do a customer sprint and build your customer? Footprint? How about an investor sprint and raise around? So we do those defined sprint processes with our companies, and we spend a lot of time getting them ready. All of what we talked about, about pitching and Dream It Dose and all of that, when a company comes into Dream It, we believe that we give away that content, we can help lots of people. But at the end of the day, if I, part of this is, if I give a startup, if we give a startup great content, if I gave you a video of how to be a superstar and how to be a, a quarterback in the Super Bowl, like Tom Brady, mm -hmm. how to throw doesn't make you into quarterback, right? First of all, you have to have some level of natural talent, but you need a lot of coaching. Yeah. So we, that content, and then when companies come into Dream It, we do very intensive coaching with them. Like, okay, here's what we talk about when you're mapping the competition, TAM, go-to-market strategy, pricing, all of these issues, how to grow, how much capital to raise. But now we're going to work through that with you. So we're going to coach you through that process. Then we get ready and we put them on these very curated intensive weeks where we do two weeks of customer sprints, and a Dream It startup meets with 20 to 30 decision makers in their space over a two-week process and ramp up their customer pipeline, but they're ready for it. I mean, they were already talking to customers and selling, but now we can have five Dream It startups in an hour talk to one individual customer, uh, uh, like a partner of ours, 
And because they're so fast in five or six minutes, here's the problem I'm solving. Here's what's unique, blah, blah, blah. So we do customer sprints. We do the same thing with investor sprints. We beat the shit out of the startups, their <laughs> models, their decks, <laughs> the founders. By the way, great Dreamit founders, they're in. And like when they start going through their Dreamit, they're like, take the gloves off and take it up to level 11. I mean, this is awesome. I've never had anybody make me think so hard about my business and not only criticize, but then help. Like, you know, it's like punch, 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 but then here's how to fix yeah. it. We do that. We get them ready for investor sprints. We curate this huge investor network that we have. And then a typical Dream It startup, again, will meet with 20, 30, 35 investors in a two-week process. If I can keep riffing with you for a minute, Please. or two more on this. This is your, this is your show, my man. Yeah. <laughs> five, five, five years ago, we got rid of our demo day. So it's interesting. Your show is demo day. But we got rid of that classic accelerator demo day. The, real, the reason we did that is we realized we were really wasting our time. That was put lipstick on a pig, put them up on stage, have them pitch for a couple minutes, come down. And the best possible thing that comes out of that is you get an investor meeting. That, that's the best possible outcome. So we're like, wait a second, why are we doing this? Like, let's just skip it and go straight to the investor meeting. Let's skip a step and go faster. Can I ask a quick so question? That, yeah, yeah, please. So, so what, is that a problem with the origin of Demo Day and what Demo Days were supposed to be? Or is that a uh -huh. problem of what they eventually became? Like, do you think that the origin of Demo Days, it was the right thing for the time? Or do you think it was always flawed? I, I think it might have been the right thing for the time. Let's go all the way back. Like YC started in what, 06, 07, right around Dream It started mm -hmm. a year or so later. Right. So programs were two months. Why? It's when college, how long do you have off of college? You have a, there were summer programs. YC ran in Boston and California, right? Silicon Valley and Boston. Eventually they shut it down. It was kind of a big hullabaloo. Like we're only going to California because that's where the action is. It was a smart move for them. Why? Why? Even to this day, like Techstars, I think, is a three-month program. Why? Why? That, that All of that origin comes from, well, how long do college students have off to work on a Got it. Two months. Wow. Right? And I, and I think Demo Day was like a capstone. Like, cool. And also, it was a, like, we'd have, we, you know, I've been to a lot of other people's Demo Days. I was to our Demo Days. And you'd see everybody like, yay, startups. Look at what our community has done. This is great. It's like, we're not about building community. We're the blood sport of building startups. It's really hard. Community is a second order effect. I'm not here to like, yay, look at what we've done. Right. That's not what we're about. We're about getting startups funded, building them. It's hard. It's serious business. Let's get going. So I think the origin was from that. I think it served its purpose. Some people still do it. And if you want to do community building, it's a phenomenal way. It gets everybody really excited. It just you're saying our point it, is like it, it, the the word demo day became a, a basically like a, a polished up night out or like like an, a polished up yeah. event to get the the you know the colleagues together essentially. Colleagues, let's pump up the community. Let's pump up our our local economic people. Let's get everybody excited about what we're doing in Philly and Austin and and Atlanta and yay, you know and and. Yeah, there are investors there and press and parents and all kinds of things. And, you know, it's a big rah-rah. And it's it's great. That's It's a very important function. It's not mm -hmm. what we do. Like, I'm in Philadelphia. Sometimes we get dinged in Philly. We don't do enough for the Philadelphia community. We don't do enough for the Philadelphia ecosystem. And I think, and again, I'm, I'm being a little extreme here, and I'll come back sure. to reality. That's not our job. My job is not to help the Philadelphia ecosystem. My job is to find the best of the best startups in the world and invest in them, make them better and invest in them. And here's a here's a quick question for you. So you, I'm talking to you right now, you're in Santa Monica, right? Yeah. And you grew up in Manhattan Beach. Yes, sir. Where did, let me ask, where did you go to college? 
uh, University of Miami in Florida. Ooh, University. That's a great school. My daughter did not apply there, but it's different. University of Miami. In University of Miami, do you want to take a guess? I don't know for that school. What percentage of kids that go to University of Miami are from Miami? South Florida is probably high, but Miami. No, no. I mean, it was. Uh, it had to be. I, I mean, I could throw a number out. That'd be bullshit. But yeah. it felt like most of my friends were from New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia. You know, like not a ton of people from Florida. It was definitely a lot of out of the state. So I'd say University of Miami is not doing enough to benefit the educational needs of kids that live in Miami. Right, right, right. I see. What and it's saying. not doing enough for the. Yeah, it's like that's not their job. Their job is to recruit the best of the best sports players, the best of the best students, who has the best SAT. Yeah, and there's a balance, absolutely. And there's a lot of important things that need to be done today in the United States around the world. We have more diversity, agree with all of that. But at the end of the day, what are they trying to do? What are they optimizing for? Same thing that we're optimizing for. So a demo day and all of that, we don't optimize for community we optimize for building startups right and getting community them on their way. is the byproduct uh, like like it's it's, it's, it's not you can either focus on the community or you could focus on building great startups which creates a community exactly yeah. to us community is a second order effect not first it's just a byproduct of if we have great startups and we actually you know if 20 30 startups go through dream it a year and then we invest and get investment rights you know two to three or four of them will come from philly and again people that like, you're not taking enough you're not taking enough startups from Philly. Philly. So how about this? Go down the block to University of Pennsylvania. You tell them they're not taking enough kids from Philly. When Penn changes their motto, we're like, okay, we'll, we'll lower the standard because if we can't find enough great startups in Philly, if I could, if every company that went through Dream It was from Philly and New York, I'd be ecstatic. There's not enough here for what we do and what we focus on. Hmm. Anyway, so I get a little passionate on that. So that's yeah, no, demo day. What do you think? Demo do, day. do you see a clear, like, like, I mean, uh, certainly with COVID, it, it's changed the game at all. Like, have, sure. you, have you found that you're able to still invest in companies with the same conviction sure. and feeling yep. virtually? So, so you haven't felt like you've lost a step, so to speak? I, look, I'd rather be face-to-face. -face. Um, and I just, I'd rather be face-to-face, -face, right? But we were doing things like this um, previously. So look, at the end of the day, what, what's interesting to me, and just this might come across, um, and I hope it, it's some people that are listening or watching are not offended. Like, I am what I am. At least I state exactly what my opinion is and why. Yeah. Just, and people like might be horrified. Like, what he's saying is horrible. It's like, but this is what we think, and we're honest about it. It's like Popeye. I am what I am. Um. But to answer your question, sorry. Let's repeat. What was your question again? I got it myself off the track. Yeah. I. Uh, I. Um. I was asking about. We talked about demo day. Demo day. Demo day. Yeah. Right. Well, well, just about like, like, it, do you see the future of of? Got it. Hi, was it was remote and Zoom and all the stuff. We're oh, doing. That, that, yes, exactly. we that. Yes. Yes. Right? Correct. So, Here's, here's a benefit. So part of what we do, like this was going to say, I look at Dream It. Here's the really cool thing. Is people say, well, Steve, you used to be an entrepreneur. Now you're a venture investor. You're not an operator anymore. And I like, no, wrong. I'm still an operator. I run, for all intents and purposes, a startup, a company that invests in other startups. Again, my background is computer science. It's recursive. We're a startup that helps startups in a sense. We're not a startup anymore, but we help startups. That's what our company does. And we obsess I obsess, we as a team obsess about how do we make ourselves different? How do we always improve? How do we get better? Because we have a product or a service, which is what we do for startups. So along those lines, 
several years ago, probably three or four years ago, we started unbundling Dreamit to the point of you didn't physically need to be with us for the whole program. It started, the great entrepreneur, I'll never forget, was yet another aha moment in the evolution of our thinking. There's a CEO in Israel, his name is Giddy Stein, and he runs a company that's, that's a dreamer company, terrific company, and a terrific CEO, MD, PhD, and it's called Metaware, and they stop prescription errors in hospitals. We, and it, it's, by the way, about 3% of all prescriptions written in a hospital are in serious medical error, and their job is to stop it, and it's a really cool, clever uh, way to stop it. It is really cool. And if we have time, I can tell you about it. Um, but we said to, to Giddy, we want you to come in and be a dreaming company. You need to spend three months in, in Philadelphia. He's like, let's see. I live in Israel. Got a bunch of kids under the age of 12. I'm not moving to Philadelphia for three months. So you know what? We're out. If that's a requirement, we're out. And we were like, wait a second. Why are we forcing companies to move to Philadelphia, move to New York, move to Baltimore. We used to do all the city programs like Techstars. We stopped doing that because all we were doing was like competing against ourselves. And a little bit like, by the way, if you want to go to University of Miami, they don't have a campus in Santa Monica. You go to Miami. You want to be a dreaming company? This is what we, you know, either come to Philly or New York are two main things. And then we started to like break it up and say, you know what? It's hybrid location. We want you with us for a few weeks to understand each other, meet each other companies, meet each, all the other companies and meet us. But then you can go remote. And you know what? We'll do part of it over Zoom because we want to meet you where you are, so to say. We don't want to force. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our entrepreneurs are a little bit more like in their 30s. They've got families. This is their second or third startup. They've been successful. They want to go faster, so they choose Dreamit. So we've, for years, done this hybrid location. What COVID forced us in a pandemic to do was go full oh. tilt. So instead of 80-20, it was or or. 3070, it went 100% virtual. So it wasn't that big a change for us. And I look forward to being back. You know, we do customer sprints and we do those. We do them in person with customers, investor sprints. It's a bi coastal event. We go to the West Coast with startups, we go to the East Coast. They go in, they go down Sand Hill Road, and they meet with investors, and we go. I really enjoy that. It's fun. I like being face to face. But we're, we're lucky we're very experienced in the hybrid, you know, remote kind of thing already. Man, Steve, I I've really enjoyed jamming with you across so many topics. I I think the you know one area I'd like to explore before letting you go is just sure. some of the you know uh, I, I would say places that you're most excited about or you know interested. Um, you know, how do you see the future of not necessarily the future of biotech or of those sorts of companies, sure. but maybe just talk about what you're personally excited about and um and and what's got you passionate and getting up in the morning each day. Sure. So what I'm excited about, it's a really good question. What I'm excited about, I love the verticals we work in. Health tech and secure tech. One of the reasons we're so passionate, I mean, they're interesting verticals. And as an investor, you have to have a thesis. Like, why are you in that vertical? I'm going to skip the thesis side. I'm just going to go to the more human side. When you look at health tech and health, and you look at security and cybersecurity, these are big, ugly problems people are dealing with. They're important problems. Look, we don't do B2C companies, you know, which you could say is unfortunate, but that are the next big, you know, what's the next TikTok, which is really cool. I love TikTok. It's hilarious. But it doesn't, it doesn't solve a big and urgent problem. And what I really like about the verticals we operate in, they're ugly. And by yeah. the way, yeah. the, health, the health tech startups in particular, well over 50% of those founders, why are you doing this in the earwax space? Why are you doing it in that you can image inside an eardrum. Why are you doing family. this in breast cancer? Oh, yeah. Oh, 60% of the time, me, my brother, my father died. My mother was ill. My mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. 
I turned to the head of radiation oncology when I was an MD PhD program at Penn and said, you know, how do you use a big data approach to figure out the best way to cure my mother of breast cancer? And his answer was, you know, like, no, I don't like, how do you, you know, you, let's just put it this way. You want a rat on that's got, you know, 20, 30 years of experience. Cause it's kind of like a, this approach. And he's like, are you kidding me? Really? You don't wow. use it. And he started, a, we see so many companies, security companies. I was breached. They were breached. You know, this was breached. This was taken over, you know, um, any money laundering. We have a company called um, race secure. They, the image packages going in to big corporations, looking for bombs, looking for poisons going in, but it doesn't use radiation. Why? There was an incident. There was an event. They're really cool companies. And then what's interesting and exciting to us is to capture them at that early stage help build them, nurture them, invest in them, make them bigger, make them better, faster, and be part of that journey is really cool. Again, we do it now to, with hundreds of companies in a very scalable fashion where we can still have a deep impact on, on every single company that goes through DreamIt. And once they're through this process, they never leave their family. We keep helping them. But to me, that's really exciting and thrilling. And then the last thing I was just going to say is DreamIt is a work in process, right? Again, it's it's like a startup. We're always pivoting. We're always not pivoting, refining, refining, mm. refining. How can we do better? How can we go faster? So to me, that's an interesting challenge. Man. Well, Steve, I don't have a biotech company, but if I did, I'd love to spend uh, some more time with you in the squad because uh, it sounds like a really amazing place. And it's fun. I go on. And we don't do, we don't, we don't do biotech. That's what my wife does for a living. She's a biotech CEO and entrepreneur. Health so we do health tech, right? Yes. So digital health, medical. We do everything except life sciences. It's just too too much for us, and we don't have enough expertise. But anyway, um, yeah. So we appreciated the time and appreciated the chat. Last question, because I feel yeah. like you're I feel like you're gonna have one for for me and the listeners. Yeah. What's a book or two, uh, or or it doesn't necessarily have to be a book, but but one that seems to be popping itself up over the last couple of years or decades. Ones that maybe you give away as a gift. Um. What's uh what's one or two books that you just couldn't recommend enough? Um, Zero to One is a really good book. I like that a lot. Um, Jeffrey Moore's Crossing the Chasm. It's a book from 30 years ago. I actually had one of our entrepreneurs quote something to me. It's a little bit like Crossing the Chasm and going from the early adopters to I was like, <laughs> wow, I haven't heard somebody, you know, use that expression for a long time. And Jeffrey's a super guy. We do a show sometimes called Dream It Live. He was a guest on it. You know, it's it's that's a great book. Those are, you know, those are, I don't know, two cool. that, that pop in my mind. Uh, Steve, you uh, are awesome, man. This was super fun. I can't wait to get to know you more. And uh, yeah, sending love from the Demo Day squad. Uh, thank you again thank you. for coming on the show. Thanks for your time. Take care. Uh, everyone, I'm Sean Goldbad from Coefficient Labs. This is Demo Day. Thanks, guys. Thank